Good morning to you all. <laughs> it's good to be here again at Wanganui East. Let's spend a moment in prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you that we've had this opportunity, this freedom to sing songs of the kingdom and to read your word and meditate on your word this morning. Thank you for this freedom that you've given us in this particular land. And Lord, this morning we want to pause and think of Christians in other countries where they don't have this freedom to come and openly worship you and hear your word. And Lord, we're thankful that there are other means of reaching such people. We thank you for your Holy Spirit speaking. We thank you too for radio and other uh, media aspects, other technologies, so that your word is going out at this time and that many people are coming to know you, Lord Jesus, as their own personal saviour. But we want to also pray especially for those war-torn areas of the world. And Lord, we see no solutions, but we pray your power to be known and felt in such areas. And Lord, as we open your word this morning, we pray for an openness to you. Speak to us and Lord guide me in the words that I share. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well it seems to have been several years that I've been speaking at this church about various encounters with, with Jesus. So this morning we are going to be looking at chapter 5, a very interesting encounter with Jesus at Bethesda. So let's turn to that, John chapter 5 and verse 1. I'm reading this morning from the NIV and it's entitled The Healing at the Pool. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five coloured, uh, covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, 
pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. As I was beginning my look into this particular uh, chapter, I thought, well, this will be fairly straightforward, a story. But as I researched the story, I found that there's all sorts of twists and turns associated with this particular group of verses. So let's go through uh, verse by verse this morning. Verse 1, Sometime later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now we're not sure exactly what this particular feast was and it was very interesting to read through the commentaries and find all sorts of arguments. But in the end, it's not really terribly important about what feast it was. But it seems to me that Jesus had a particular agenda in going to Jerusalem at this particular time. You see, in the previous chapters, Jesus has enjoyed a time of relative popularity, in a sense, amongst the people. Yes, there is scepticism, but this particular chapter triggers open hostility to the point that they want to kill Jesus. They want to get rid of him. That is, the Jews want to get rid of him. It's interesting that there's no mention of the disciples in these particular verses. It seems that Jesus was, in a sense, a lone agent as he went up to the feast at uh, Jerusalem. Moving on, verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five coloured or covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame and the paralysed. And if you've been reading in another translation, 
maybe the authorised version, you'll find that there's a verse missing. And in fact, in the early, the earliest known manuscripts, verse 4 is in fact missing. But it's, it's included in the footnote in many of our Bibles. It's missing because it seems that that particular verse, verse 4, wasn't uh, there in the first case. But when you get down to verse 7, you find that there is a need for explanation. Why are these disabled people gathering around this particular pool? And apparently from time to time this pool was stirred up in some way and uh, some text writer, remember in the old, uh, old days they didn't have printing presses, uh, these, uh, the original scriptures were actually copied by hand and it seems very likely that centred around this verse somebody noticed this, um, this gap in knowledge and so they added as a, as a side text or a side note that an angel came down and stirred up the water. And so here's this great number of people. In some translations it says a multitude of people lying around this particular pool. In archaeology they apparently dug up the, this pool and it actually is probably two pools side by side with a a covered in area going down the centre between the pools and then on each side around those two pools uh, other covered areas. And here were people, disabled people, the blind, the lame and the paralysed, all hoping for a healing touch through these waters uh, at Bethesda. And so Jesus comes on to the scene. We might think, well, what an opportunity to heal all of these desperately sick people. Lying there in some cases, caregivers alongside perhaps, waiting for healing. But Jesus doesn't act in that way. And I want this to be a main point of this message this morning. Jesus comes to individuals and right through history Jesus seems to focus on individuals with needs and openness to him in most cases. But once again there's a twist to this particular story. Most of the stories we read in the early parts of John indicate some kind of faith of the people who know God's intervention in their, in their lives. Uh, the ruler in the previous chapter, he knew that if he came to Jesus that his child would be made well and Jesus rewarded him for his faith. But I want you to notice in this particular group of verses the faith of the man in normal terms doesn't quite seem to be there but it is there. And so we focus on verse 5. 
one, that is one of the disabled people who had been there, had been an invalid for 38 years. Now these days without modern medicine, 38 years is a lot of lifetime considering when people usually passed away. And so he's been there for 38 years. Imagine it. I was thinking of the goriness of it. When somebody is an invalid, they need to be turned regularly to prevent bed sores and so on. And here's this man in this particular situation. Very, very desperate. And Jesus comes to him. And at first point I I wondered at the question, do you want to get well? I mean, Jesus, (laughs) I've been here for 38 years. Do I want to get well? But I think this is an important point that Jesus asks. Some of us, some people in society are very content with the situation that they're in. They're either content in their sinfulness and so they won't, don't want the salvation of Jesus or they're actually content in the fact that they're an invalid and others are having to do work for them and others are taking care of them. And so I think that this is a very important question that Jesus asks. Do you want to get well? And maybe you're facing some situation. It may be some area of sin in your life. It may be some illness, area of illness. It may be some area that you're struggling with. And Jesus comes to us this morning, I believe, and says, do you want, do you really want to get well? Do you want to get out of your present situation and know that I can help you in this particular situation? (laughs) And it's interesting too in the following several verses, the invalid doesn't really answer Jesus' question either. You see how I found it quite intriguing as I studied this particular passage of scripture. And so the invalid says, Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And so you can see how Different this situation, the invalid doesn't have any idea at all who it is that has come alongside him. He doesn't realise that here is God incarnate, God in human form there who is able to heal him, to heal him completely. He's very focused on the legend or the myth or whatever it was of getting into that water 
to be healed. His focus is in the wrong direction. And sometimes we in our daily living, yes, we want to live in God's way. We want to walk with him. But our focus may not be in the right directions. And so we need to really hear the words of Jesus. And every time recently, over the last three weeks, as I've read uh, this verse, a smile has come to me. Verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. This is incredible. He's been there for 38 years. And Jesus says to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. I uh, go on YouTube for this particular verse. It's a fantastic uh, portrayal of this particular episode. And so here's this invalid lying there. Have I heard right? This person has told me to get up. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. But something must have happened that made, made him stretch a leg or an arm and start to move. And as he starts to move, he amazingly, because it says in the next verse, at once, as he starts to move, as he hears the words of Jesus, he starts to feel power and ability, mobility, come into those impotent legs and arms and whatever other parts of his body weren't functioning. And so he moves. And he picks up his bed and carries it off. There must have been other people around absolutely amazed at this particular point. Who is this? Ever since I've been here, this this guy's been lying there. Hasn't been able to move. And Jesus faces a predicament because you can just see in your mind's eye, if you like, the head's turning. What's going on here? And there's a danger. Jesus is in a danger. There could have been a riot as people so desperate try to be healed in this particular situation. But Jesus does a strange thing. He seems to just mingle off into the crowd because this appointment this time was for this particular man and this particular stage in the ministry of Jesus. And so the man picks up his bed and walks. I think it must have been something like the, the other one in the time of Peter in the temple. I don't think he was just walking with his bed. He was, wow, <laughs> what's going on here? This is incredible. This is amazing. And he heads 
for the temple because somewhere in the back of his mind he knows that if God has done a great thing in his life, he needs to somehow express his thankfulness to God. And so he heads for the temple. And then comes that little phrase, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And I think this is a a major point in this particular group of verses. Jesus is at that point of realising that he can't mince matters with the, the religious system that is dominant in the day. This is a crucial time. And one thought in this particular passage that Jesus actually was heading to Jerusalem to make this conflict situation that he was going to expose the dominant religious system of the time amongst the Jews. And so this particular uh, healing brings about the hostility of a distorted religion. Continuing on in the verses, verse 10, And so the Jews said to the man, they see this man carrying his mat, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. You see, the religion of the Jews had gone terribly wrong. The leaders of the law had read the Old Testament that you're not to work on a Sunday because that's the day that God set aside for celebration that creation was over and God set it in place to be a day of worship when commerce should cease and so on and so forth. But they had said amongst themselves, what does this mean? And it's incredible as I went through some of the comments on this passage. At this particular time, it was debated very hotly whether a man should actually put his false teeth in on the Sabbath. (laughs) Or should a man who didn't have a leg or a woman or whatever actually strap on their wooden leg in order to get to the temple to worship? Surely that's work, but it gets even worse. If a person finds that they've been repairing their, sewing their clothing and, whoops, there's a needle in the hem of my garment. And if one of the leaders of the law had spotted them with that needle in their garment, hey, you're working on the Sabbath, you're carrying a needle around. And of course you never put on a brooch or a badge or something like that because you were carrying an object. And the Jewish leaders spent their time in debate considering all of these laws. Should have been another scenario at this particular time. Hey, I've seen you at the pool. And you're carrying your mat. What's happened in your life? 
This is incredible. This is amazing. Praise God. Such a, an amazing thing has happened to you. But the shutters were up. They were so bound up with false and distorted religion. They, they start accusing this man of working on the Sabbath. What a distortion. But I found myself this week examining some of the things that I do and the things that I hold true. And we must be careful. This is a warning to us, I believe, that we can be distracted from the truth of God's word and the intentions behind God's word. And as Jesus said, we can be trying to cast out the sand or sawdust or whatever out of other people's eyes. Meanwhile, we've got this plank in our own lives. And so we need to examine our focus and our attentions and the reasons we do things. Anyway, this man, getting back to the story again, who told you, or don't you know that the law forbids you to carry your mat? But the man replied in verse 11, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. You see, this person who's just been healed is in a very delicate situation. He could lose his life. Such was the laws of the Jewish uh, authorities at this time. He could lose his life for carrying that mat, for disobeying the Sabbath. So they said, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For once again, as I mentioned before, Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there at the pool. And so the man heads to the temple. I debated in my mind, I wonder what he did with his mat on his way to the temple. Maybe he slipped it in an alley somewhere so that he wouldn't be caught out again. I'm not sure what actually happened. Maybe he was still carrying that mat. Later Jesus found him at the temple. You see, Jesus is not finished with this man. And brothers and sisters here this morning, Jesus is not finished with us. There's more business that he needs to do with us. And it must be a constant business, if you like. Probably the wrong word to use. But there must be that constant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and God and his word in our daily living. I was talking with a student this week and he was saying, why why am I always having to struggle with sin? And I said something to him like, join the club. It won't be until we, until Christ comes back, comes back again, that we'll have that, I believe, that complete delivery from sin. 
There's a constant battle going on. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. I believe this verse indicates that something, some sin in this man's life had maybe brought him to this particular situation of being invalided. Just as a drunkard pickles his liver in a sense or somebody in adultery brings upon themselves sin and disease. And there are other places where because of sin there is infirmity or there's sickness or there's problems in our lives. And of course that's not to say that all uh, restrictions and all uh, difficulties and all health problems are the result of sin. Jesus himself said when talking about a blind man, he said, no, this man didn't sin or his parents didn't sin and so he became blind. This man's sin was for God's glory because I'm going to bring about a healing and that's the purpose that this man is being healed and being restored. But in this case, it seems to indicate that there's a sin problem in this man's life. Maybe there was even a sin problem related to just lying there by the pool for the 38 years. And maybe he felt resentful to the people who managed to make it to the pool and be healed. And so he was resentful maybe towards God for not healing him. Whatever it was, Jesus comes to him and says to him, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now ultimately Jesus is speaking about the time of judgment when Christ returns. And if we haven't repented of our sin and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, there is ultimate judgment for sin from which there is no escape. Jesus spoke about that. Stop sinning. Uh, This particular passage uh, referred me to Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. Let's turn to it for a moment. Romans 6 and verse 12. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not Be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. 
And as I thought of those words and this man, I thought of a favourite passage in Romans also, Romans chapter 12. You see this, Jesus wanted this man absolutely transformed and he wants us transformed daily by his word. And so Romans 12 and verse 1 says, and verse 1 and following says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, you see this man had experienced God's mercy in his healing. In view of God's mercy, he's extended to us mercy in the fact that Christ has died in our place and taken the the cost of our sin and giving us opportunity to become right with holy God. In view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And this is where it ties in with the case with this particular man at Bethesda. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so I believe Jesus was speaking to this man saying, think about your healing. You've had a physical healing, but there's a spiritual healing that needs to take part or be part of your life. And so God uh, speaks to us through his word and says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And there's a great promise. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. There's a lot in this chapter. Uh, continuing on, as, as Jesus expresses his closeness to the Father and that he and the Father were one, if we were to read on to verse 18 and then through the rest um, of the chapter. But I want us this morning to be focused on these two things. Jesus came to meet this man's need in a hopeless situation. And wherever we are this morning, Jesus wants to come and meet us and to transform our lives. And again, he wants us to be renewed and to know that new life in himself. And some of the students that I work with said, say, well, there's all sorts of religions. And I say to them sometimes in a certain context, religions, I hate religion. Some of them rock that and think, you're part of the chaplaincy here at Massey and you're saying that you hate religion? Yes, because religion per se can tie us up with rules and regulations and rituals and procedure. It's what we need 
is a relationship, a personal daily relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and to know his renewal, to be transformed and to be renewed. I advise you to sometime this week look at this passage again and see the miraculous work of the Lord Jesus Christ as he reached out to this person and be encouraged both in research and further study but also to to know what God would say to you through this particular encounter with Jesus at the pool of Bethesda. Thank you for the opportunity to share with you this morning.